From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, the global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, we're really lucky. We'll be talking about the future of marketing and entertainment with Dan Adler, founder and CEO of Fenista, a next-generation online shopping destination for movies, music, games, and books. Much of Dan's Hollywood career has been focused on integrating talent and technology to launch new initiatives and companies. Early in his career, he spearheaded the creative artist agencies, or CAA as we all know it, early initiatives in new media, and later returned to rebuild and manage the new media department at CAA. Dan spent several years at the Walt Disney Company, where he first served as VP of Talent and Business Development for Disney Interactive, and then as Vice President of Creative Development for Disney Imagineering. He was one of the key architects of the Disney ABC agenda at the advent of the Internet and television convergence. Dan is involved in a wide range of charitable and political causes with a special emphasis on youth activism and education. Welcome to Market Edge, Dan. Thrilled to be here, Larry. Hey, let's start first just with tell us about Finista and just what it is right now so that our, our listeners can go check it out and and see what's so next generation about it. Uh, in many ways, it's a very simple idea. It tries to put online much of the behavior that happens in the real world when, particularly in the areas of entertainment, we're more influenced by our peer group, by the people we run into at the office or our dorm or on a subway or an airplane or a church or synagogue or wherever it might be than we are by the big marketing campaigns thrown at us in terms of making the decision with everything in front of us of sort of what we're going to actually spend our hard-earned dollars on, what we're going to listen to, what we're going to what concert we're going to go to, what movie we're going to go see, what game we're going to play, what book we're going to read. And we wanted to build an environment that um, sort of celebrated that online. So we're a little bit of a, of a Web 2.0 shopping experience uh, combination, uh, sort of hybrid series of platforms. Um, we are, and we carry basically every SKU you could buy anywhere else in the marketplace in terms of movies, music, and games. Uh, books will be rolling out shortly and downloads right after that. And then on top of that, we've wrapped a, a sort of socially networked recommendation engine that's all about you talking about the entertainment you love and why you love it, or even the stuff you hate and why you hate it, since that tends to define as much of who we are as what the stuff is that we love. And then lastly, it's uh, around all of that is added an element that has been applied in a lot of other businesses very successfully and really rarely ever applied to entertainment, and that's the whole sort of uh, multi-level marketing, direct selling 
world, something we've labeled common interest commerce, which we think is a very good uh, way to describe what's happening, which is a referral-based system that says that if I bring you into the system, then any purchase you make, not just the one I told you about at the moment I told you about it, but any purchase you make if you opt in and recognize that I'm the one that brought you into the system, any purchase you make for the rest of your life in the system, I commission 5% of, and if you then bring somebody else in, any purchase that that person makes, you commission, and I also commission 5% of. And we've taken that and really tried to turn it into support for causes. And although this is not a requirement, we're strongly encouraging that those commission dollars, especially sort of on the, the uh the entertainment side, those commission dollars go towards a 501c3, towards a ch charity, whether that's a charity of your choosing as a user or a charity of the person's choosing who brought you in or possibly a charity of the choosing of some of the celebrities or the causes that we're working with at a macro level. So that's a simple, not perfectly articulate, but simple little overview of what we're doing. How cool is that? So you're embedding almost moral purpose as part of the, 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 you know, the daily work of of the site and and of of everything you do, and you're also wrapping, you know, sort of the the, the social media and marketing agenda, right around what I might call Web 1.0 things like Amazon and iTunes. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Actually, I like your uh, description of the moral purpose. You know, one of the things that we recognized is how big a marketplace entertainment is. And we secondly recognize that it's one of those marketplaces that overserved in many, many ways in terms of how many, uh, not, not just the content that's thrown at us, but all of the content that's thrown at us about the content, you know, all of the magazines and magazine shows and, and radio shows and everything else that are going on about entertainment, the business of entertainment. But what we acknowledged is that more than almost any other business you could identify, the largest number of people who touch the world of entertainment end up being influenced by their peer group, often influencing their peer group, and yet not really able to participate directly in that equation. Now, I'd argue that it's sort of one of the things that validates us all as, as human beings. One of the things in that sort of grand social contract of life is that if I tell you about the, the music I listened to or the concert I went to or you know, the game I'm playing or the movie I saw that changed my life or at least changed or altered or improved my weekend, then it's likely that next weekend when you're trying to make your decision of what you're going to do with your very finite amount of time and your very finite amount of money, when you're going to make that decision, as much as you've had a lot of campaigns thrown at you, as much as a lot of people have spent a lot of money trying to reach you, it's really the, the spark that's going to get you over the edge tends to be something that comes to you from a peer. And, and more than other areas, entertainment is sort of the primary beneficiary of that because entertainment is the one thing that we all have in common. We may not all love the same artist, we may not love the same movie, but it's likely that after one or two sentences or a couple of, of sort of uh, trial balloons thrown in the middle of the table, you and I can pretty quickly find something that we both agree on. And we wanted to, to get that online in a way that let people sort of participate in the business of it. And that's where the commission piece became really important. At the same time, we're not offering enough of a commission uh, based on how narrow the margins are in the world of entertainment. We're not offering enough of a commission that anybody's likely to get too rich from doing this. And, and that's why it's really just a little bit of pocket money, maybe a little bit of, of sort of buy yourself some stuff, uh, you know, some other products you want to buy in, in our store. 
But that's why we look more and more at the idea of really elevating it with that moral purpose, as you said, and of saying to people, look, you're already spending this money on entertainment. We're not, we're not proposing a behavior change. We're not telling you to spend twice as much as you spend or even a dollar more than you spend. Our prices are absolutely priced competitively with everybody else who's out there. And nor are we telling you to buy twice as many products as you spent uh, as you bought last year. Instead, we're just saying that if you move some or, <clears throat> excuse me, all of your spend into this environment, then you've got all of these other benefits. You can step into a world of people who share your enthusiasm for entertainment, your passion for it. You have the opportunity to influence them in what they're going to buy or listen to. And uh, importantly, you have this ability to sort of bring some money into the system that you could use or a charity or a cause that you support could use. So that, that's where it becomes a little bit different. So give me, give me an example just to, to follow the thread for a little bit of the moral purpose discussion. You know, I think you had something to do uh, or, or there's a Burma project that you were working on or, or say, you know, I have a, a friend that's really upset by the whole Tibetan, you know, uh, China thing. Is there any way to find a place I can, you know, help there. I mean, yep. give me some specific. Uh, easy to uh, jump into. So Burma is a perfect example for us. Certainly what's happening in Tibet is uh, another you know, tragic example, and we're all hopeful that, that we'll see some good things coming out of the world uh, response to what's happening in both of those places. In the case of Burma, um, a lot of serendipity has been at play in a lot of our business from the time we really formed it in terms of how things fell in place. But one of the more recent examples of serendipity came a few weeks ago when I was sitting down with a gentleman by the name of Jack Healy who used to run Amnesty International in the 80s. And when Jack ran Amnesty uh, in the States, what he did was he decided that music, which is really one of those great unifiers, could be used to, to elevate the story of human rights. And it was Jack who put together those two big tours, the Human Rights Tour, the, the, um, the Conspiracy of Hope Tour that you'll, we all remember, Springsteen and Peter Gabriel and uh, U2 and the police and Yusuf Endor and Tracy Chapman doing those global tours that really raised consciousness for, for what was happening with human rights in general and Amnesty as sort of the vehicle to deal with human rights. And Jack, more recently, when he left Amnesty a few years ago, uh, he started an organization uh, he left it a while ago, a few years ago, started an organization called the Human Rights Action Center. And under it, uh, the U.S. campaign for Burma, which has really been focused on Burma as sort of the prime example of human rights abuses and, you know, a place where you've got a, a woman who has, who has not only uh, been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize but was unable to accept it, I think putting her in a category of one, but also a woman who was the democratically elected president of her country to the tune of something like 80-plus percent uh, voter support, but has been under house arrest and unable to serve her democratically elected term as president. And interestingly, a real bipartisan issue. This is an issue that, that everybody on all sides of the political spectrum supports because it's all about democracy. It's not about partisan politics. And... Uh, and Jack was putting together, as he's done many times in his career, a lot of major people, major artists to support this. We, we happen to sell on our site. Uh, it's available in other places. A wonderful CD that Jack did a couple of years ago in tribute to Aung San Suu Kyi with incredible artists on it. Um, you know, a who's who from Anita Franco to, to, uh, to Coldplay to Radiohead to everybody you could think of. And, uh, and Jack was putting together a series of, uh, of sort of vignettes, little 30- to 90-second stories about what's happening in Burma with some major celebrities 
doing these little pieces. And I, uh, the more I talked to him about it over lunch, the more I realized that we were sort of the perfect home for it because it's not only what we believe in in terms of what's right, but it's also what we believe in in terms of celebrating people's ability to make a difference at a grassroots level and artists' ability to influence people to get involved. And, and sort of all of that came together in a perfect way for what we're all about. We're, we're not running these spots, which will begin airing uh, later on in the month. Uh, we're not airing these exclusively on our site, but we, we want them to be out and seen by as many people as possible, so we'll put them in as many places as we can. But the, the, the unique characteristic of the site's ability to sort of take the entertainment dollars you're otherwise going to be spending and through a campaign like this to try to get you to spend some of those dollars if you're so moved in our system means that those commission dollars will drop down to the bottom line of U.S. campaign for Burma and will help them and their initiative that we're working on them with for, for trying to get a million signatures and a million people to sort of stand up for the cause of human rights in Burma. So how and that cool. can be applied, I was just going to say, that, that can be applied to, you know, local local religious organizations to enormous organizations like Save the Children or United Way or, or anything else, but, but sort of works on the macro and the micro level equally well. Or one laptop per child. Or one laptop per child. In fact, we've had one laptop per child up on the site for, uh, for a long time in terms of really trying to push people towards the OLPC initiative, absolutely. So this is, this is very cool. So to, to my audience, we can say, you know what, you might not, you know, if you, it, it soon if you, you have a book you want or if you, uh, a movie or, uh, or any, any type of entertainment, you can get it and it costs you no more and you can do good. I mean, is, is that pretty much the simple? You said it perfectly. Can we, uh, can we hire you as a spokesman? <laughs> Yeah, I might be I might be too old to be a spokesman. <laughs> but yes, that's exactly it. Yes. And and you know the sort of web 2.0 culture and then the uh the technologies available are really helping you enable this kind of thing as well as your understanding of entertainment, I would think. Yep. Yep. So that's it's just terrific. I have a lot more questions for uh for you Dan, but we're going to take a uh short commercial break right now. So everybody, please stand by, and we'll be right back with Dan Adler of uh, Finista for more of this interesting conversation on, uh, I, I don't even think it's the future. I think it's here now. So we'll be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting in a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. 
Hello, uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah. GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Dan Adler, founder and CEO of Femista, a next-generation online shopping destination that I think is doing some really cool stuff by embedding moral purpose with uh, with shopping and what they're what they're about. We heard a lot about that in the the first section of the program. You know, uh, Dan, from your expertise, you know, what, what has was really been wrong with the energy? Entertainment distribution model, you know, and why do people keep fighting it? Uh, it's, it you know, like it's you... Um, it, everybody always thinks of Hollywood as being an extremely progressive place, and uh, I hope I won't make too many enemies in this statement. Uh, but it, in fact, I'd argue it uh, is a little less progressive than it tends to be renowned as. And uh, you know, on the one hand, it's actually a political statement. In, in fact, we all look at, at sort of Hollywood and and often say, oh, it's where all the progressives are. Last time I checked, there are only a handful of people who have come out of uh, Hollywood and gone into politics, and those who have and those who have done it successfully all happen to be Republicans. So (laughs) just start right there and sort of dispel that long-held myth that it's all a bunch of crazy progressives when you've got uh, President Reagan and Governor Schwarzenegger and and the late Sonny Bono and Fred Thompson and others trying to uh, do it very successfully but doing it uh, on that side of the aisle. More importantly, though, in terms of at least what we're talking about, more importantly, I think it's a uh, it's a business that has been very comfortable with its own business and has lived often in fear of eroding what that core business might be at any given point. And I could almost I could almost reach all the way back to sort of times of vaudeville and say that that sort of from the Nickelodeon forward, nothing really changed all that much. It wasn't largely driven from outside of the business. You know, there have been changes, but we all remember the the fights about and the resistance to things like um, 
TV and, and, and things like uh, cable and things like video. And in each step of the way, you know, even something like television was seen as something that was going to cannibalize radio. Video was seen as something that was going to cannibalize uh, going to a movie theater and cable and satellite were seen as things that were going to cannibalize broadcast television. In each case, rather than cannibalizing, what they ended up doing really was growing incrementally and in some cases exponentially the business at hand. And I, I think that fear is the kind of sort of macro issue sitting on top of everybody that when it came to things like technology advances in the world of music leading to great ideas like things like Nap for things like Napster, um, rather than the business embracing that change, the business does, did what it does very naturally, which is it put up as many shields and barriers as it could, tried to protect the turf it had, and in so doing, left out of the mix the people whom they were supposed to be helping the most, and that was namely the consumer. You know, and if you sort of think back to that, I remember as a, as a kid um, uh, when, when, when uh, CDs were brought into the marketplace, you know, we were all told that this was a win-win for everybody, that, that the audio quality was much higher, that the issues of degradation that we suffered with vinyl were not going to exist anymore, and that the cost savings, since the cost of goods of a CD manufactured versus the cost of goods of a vinyl LP was so much in favor of the CD that all of those cost savings are going to be passed on to us. And that was a very promising uh, future. In fact, so much so that we all went out and rebought our catalogs, the stuff that had been, in many cases, recorded analog, in many cases, mastered analog. The only thing that was different was that it was output digital. So it wasn't really like we were getting better fidelity uh, until people started recording and mastering in digital. And then, of course, we were getting better fidelity. But, but the point is we still went and spent all that money rebuying our catalog because we believed in this vision for the future that, that had been presented to us. And then pretty quickly after that vision was presented to us, instead of all of those things being delivered on, uh, a couple of them held true. The quality was high and the degradation was low, but the price also rose quickly. So what used to be something that might have been an 898 or a 998 or a 1098 LP all of a sudden started jumping up in price rather than declining in price. And I, I think that's when the, the, the sort of uh, discomfort from the consumer started popping up. I, don't, I personally don't think that any consumer is out to screw or treat unfairly any artist or any owner of copyright. In fact, I actually think that most people are committed to generally doing what's right. But when the system in front of them doesn't give them an easy way to do it, and ultimately when they feel that they're being treated unfairly, then I think they try to reach in any direction they can to find something that, that gives them more a, a, a more level playing field. And I think what happened in the case of the music business is the, the consumers began to create more level playing fields, or at least the opportunity for facilitating more, more level playing fields. And the business could have reacted quickly and embraced those and figured out the way for everybody to benefit the most, but instead started resisting and fighting them. And I think that adversarial relationship that was so unhealthy and, and sort of put in place so early is what set the tone for what the music business has been trying to recover from for so many years. And I think, therefore, if you just look at that as one small example, music-specific, um, that that kind of behavior is what I think has been a, a cause of concern. I think that the, the willingness to sort of look at opportunities that might do a better excuse me, job of, 
of creating more equitable relationships between the people who create content. And by, by that, I mean not only the artists who create it, but also the entities, the studios, the labels, the video game publishers, the book publishers, etc., and those who consume it. And that, that figuring out how to get those two entities closer together is, I think, the piece that's been missing in general. I mean, I don't want to go back to Phineas. It is one of the things we set out to do is to sort of try to create a better relationship among those people or those entities. But generally speaking, when, when you sort of ask your question, I think that that's been the missing link, that there's been this resistance to sort of look at, at how to do things differently and better in a way that ultimately should help everybody, but in the process may shake things up a little bit. And I think people are often afraid of being shaken up too much. So it's going to take a little time, but I, I think the direction is set. I mean, because the, the power still is going to come from the consumer. I think ultimately the power does come from the consumer. You know, there were these, these different um, periods in the last couple of uh, generations or two when, you know, everybody sort of looked at content as king, and that's when all of the Japanese companies started buying up studios and all of the other big deals were going on. Content will always be king because it is – it, it is few and far between uh, the number of people who can actually tell a good story or write a good song or, or you know, do those things that we all crave and that we all know are, are done by very talented people. Um, however democratized that process might become, and the Internet certainly continues to democratize it more, but the consumer, as you said, is ultimately the one who ought to be driving a lot more of the experience because they are the ones who have the potential to to not only – drive success, but also influence other success. And I think that's the piece that, that, that has been most missing. It's sort of that, that celebration of word of mouth. I mean, in many ways, what we set out to do, in many ways, what, what um, a number of people are trying to do effectively now, is look at what happens when word of mouth is done well. And look at what happens when you can sort of take out the the people who, who just want to push a message out, but don't want to allow the community to amplify the voice of that message. And I think a, a message when told by an individual is always so much more powerful than when just thrown at you by the marketer. I think the marketing messages are incredibly important, but it's the ability to amplify them, to, to sort of put them in the context in real words of people who are touching them or being touched by them that is what largely and often separates those things that break through the clutter and, and those that don't. And more and more now, it's more difficult to break through the clutter and therefore relying on people as your barometer of what really matters of cutting through the campaigns that are given to you, presented at you, is I think the, the sort of killer app of, of what will be different in the future. Other predictions, Dan, just a rapid fire. Uh, quickly, your comment on the future of movies and how we're going to access them, buy them. Are we going to keep going to movie theaters, or is it going to be increasingly, uh, is it going to be increasingly at, uh, on, our, on our device of choice? That is a really good question. Uh, you know, the problem, the problem with the, the sort of debate of out-of-home experience versus in-home experience is we all know that there's a magic that happens outside of the home. There's a magic that happens when you walk into a concert venue and you're with 15,000 or, you know, 75 other people, and you're all there for a moment of magic. And the same thing when you can sit in a movie theater or, or be a part of one of those shared experiences. 
the question is at what point the balance shifts. I mean, I remember meetings and discussions in the early 90s about the fact that, you know, CD-ROMs were going to be irrelevant because they were going to be replaced by video on demand. And, and I remember early discussions on the, at the advent of the DVD platform where everybody said to Warren Lieberfarb, you know, why are you spending your time doing this? Because if true video on demand is just around the corner. It's going to be here in a year or two. You're not going to have any time to capitalize on all of these boxes and, and uh, DVDs going out in the marketplace. And, you know, clearly they've had a pretty successful 10-year run on that. Um, but I think the problem is as technology rises and as home theater systems get bigger and better, and as a lot of the multiplex experience diminishes, which it has in some cases, there are many people who are trying to really elevate it, uh, sort of every generation somebody comes along and tries to do that effectively. Um, but as those become less different, differentiated from each other, then I think a lot of people are going to look at the home experience and say, well, I don't have to worry about parking. I don't have to worry about getting um, charged a lot for the popcorn and the Coke, and I don't have to worry about sticky stuff on my feet. And, and I can have a more comfortable experience in my own house. Now, the problem with that is that you sort of miss the shared experience of what's happening day and date with something really exciting. And I think, I, I think there may be blurring of some of those lines. I think windowing in general, you know, which is clearly being changed on a weekly and monthly basis now, the whole issue of windowing, I think, may become more an economic issue than a simple timing issue. So I may want to pay for a first-run movie relatively day and date with its feature release, but I may not be able to get out of my house if I have young kids or I'm busy with something else or I may not be able to do it, but I may be willing to pay a real premium, you know, a lot to have that experience that I can't have at the theater but I really want to have at that point. And I think those kinds of ideas will begin to percolate more and more. That said, my, my, macro, my, my big answer to your um, sort of predict the future impossible question is I think all of the evolutions will continue to move slowly. I think the ideas are always out there. You know, digital uh, delivery has been – digital delivery has worked and been around and, and actually, you know, been deployed in many theaters all over the country for years now, for close to a decade in many cases. Um, and the problem is that there's an enormous capital expense on how to do that one correctly. And since the uh, exhibitors don't happen to be in a very cash-rich position, it's hard for them to bankroll that. And the studios, it's hard for them to bankroll it as well. So it's one of those things where, you know, there's a great answer. Everybody benefits from digital distribution. There's no prints to strike. There's no, um, you know, uh, wasted resources of bicycling these prints around the country through FedEx or whomever else, and there's no environmental impact issues, uh, and there's a lot of cost savings and a lot of, uh, you know, time saving as well, but that doesn't mean that it's easy to replace the system that's in place right now easily or quickly. So I, I do think that the experience will change. I think it will become more consumer-centric. Um, but I also, I hope, and I actually really wish that the out-of-home experience will continue to evolve and, and be elevated. There, there's nothing better than that shared experience, and whether it's a, a, you know, fine, legitimate theater or, you know, an orchestra in front of you or a rock band or a jazz concert or a movie, we all want that experience, and I, I think we, we better be thinking of some good ways to make sure that that experience remains affordable and accessible in every senses of those words 
such and, and also remains the magic that it's been for so many of us so that we all keep wanting to go there and, and leave our houses to do it. From one experience to another, five years from now, is iTunes as dominant as it is today? <laughs> uh, the specific brand iTunes? Um, you know, I think iTunes has had a very good run, and uh, I think that they have launched not only a great series of hardware devices and platforms, but also an answer for the music business that the music business was unable to do itself. I would be surprised if they are able to retain as much um, share of market as they have been so far. My hope is that ultimately they end up actually even with a bigger aggregate share of market because my hope is that uh, more people will turn to legal solutions in general and that iTunes will be only one of many legal, ubiquitous, easy, and successful solutions. At the moment, because iTunes did such a good job of answering those questions that were so difficult for everyone else to answer, they've essentially become you know, the de facto standard for legal. But the truth is that although we don't like to look at this, uh, they are still a, a small percentage of downloads because illegal downloads still trump legal downloads in a very big way. And I think we all need to be aiming towards something that ensures that legal downloads are the norm and the standard and the majority and that the illegal ones become the minority. When that happens, I'd be thrilled to see iTunes still having a big piece of that market share, but I'd much rather see a bunch of people in the marketplace who are doing it legally and successfully. Dan, it was a quick half hour, but I always have to end my interviews with one simple question. You're not allowed to name your own site, Finista, as this answer. Have you come across anything in the last few weeks or month uh, on the web that you just think is really cool that you want to share with our audience that they might not have stumbled upon yet, no pun intended? <laughs> uh, boy, in the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of stuff out there I like. That is one question I would have loved to have been able to think about on more than a moment's notice. Uh, okay. uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll go to the extreme other side. Uh, my de facto site uh, many times in a given day is CNN.com. Uh, okay. So I'll go to the extreme other side of it, and I will think about a better answer and try to post it on, uh, on the site later on for you guys. That would be terrific. And uh, Dan Adler, you know, founder and CEO and entertainment uh, observer extraordinaire, Thanks so much uh, for being our guest on, uh, on Market Edge today. My pleasure. I really am grateful for the opportunity, Larry. Thanks. Big fan. And thanks, everyone. Be sure to go to Finista uh, because that's where you should shop now. So, uh, and you're helping a lot of people uh, when you do it. And thanks to everyone in the audience for listening to Market Edge today. Tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time here in the old USA at webmasterradio.fm. Bye-bye.